Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse Podcast, the longest running podcast of its kind. Carrying on the 18-year legacy of Army Wife Talk Radio, we have now expanded our community to include all military spouses of all branches and all components. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us as we empower military spouses to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Now, here are your podcast hosts, your Mission Mill Spouse Command Team. Hello, listeners. Welcome to yet another encouraging and entertaining episode of the Mission Mill Spouse podcast, the longest running podcast of its kind. It's almost hard to believe, but this is episode number 970. I'm Amanda Bickneys, your Director of Empowerment, and I'm grateful you chose to join us today. Put your headphones in, your volume turned up, and let's get ready for your weekly lineup of military life empowerment. On today's show, we'll listen to an interview conducted by our Director of Content, Kathleen Palmer, as she chats with author Natalie Walters on her latest book, Blind Trust. Hello, Mission Mills Fest listeners. I'm Jade Fusaro, Director of Podcast Production. We're so grateful to continue the 18-year legacy of Army Wife Talk Radio, now rebranded and expanded to include all military spouses of all branches and all components. That's right. You have a front row seat of our mill spouse table. So pull up a chair and let's get the conversation started. As an all-volunteer powered 501c3 organization, we invite individuals and businesses to support us in our mission, helping military spouses to feel confident and empowered in this military life. Please go to missionmillspouse.org to contribute or email partner at missionmillspouse.org to discuss our extensive partnership program. Thank you for your support. Before we get any further with today's show, though, let's catch up, Jade. What's written in pencil on your mill spouse calendar this week? Oh, so Amanda, there's not too much crazy stuff happening this week in the mill spouse life. Um, the only thing that's really happening is that we are going to go actually see family. Uh, they're flying into Florida and spending some time about four hours north of us. So oh, I'll get to see my mom and my stepdad and we'll kind of get to go out and um, do some family stuff soon. So it's kind of cool, you know? Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Oh, I'm like, we just got to see my in-laws for a little bit. And um, now I'm kind of feeling that by myself. Well, not to mention Mick is my husband right now is, um, you know, TDY just for a week, but it feels very (laughs) like I'm in survival mode, right? Um, (laughs) I just, it's me and the kids. I'm trying to work, trying to have that balance, which doesn't exist. And so, yeah, I'm just surviving. Um, But I'm really, I'm just kind of counting down the days already for summer when things start to like (laughs) lighten up and we get to (laughs) to see um, more family. My mom is actually moving up to Colorado with us. So, um, Ooh, fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very excited. My mom and I are like the Gilmore girls. <laughs> well, we were when I was growing up. And so it'll be really nice to just have her nearby and to help with the kids, especially through, you know, TDYs and deployments. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. I'm just kind of embracing the suck right now. Um, yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I know, I know I'll get through it. So I'm just holding on tight right now. 
Exactly. Cause you're strong, you're confident and you're capable of absolutely everything. So within these seasons and with summer coming, you're just going to wreck it. So uh, yes, thank you. Oh, girl, you know that, <laughs> but it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, as military spouses, we're always far away from our families. So when we do get these opportunities, like this weekend, I'm going to drive up four hours with my husband and we're going to have the best time ever and make some really awesome memories. So yes, super excited. I'm so happy and, for you guys. I know, me too. And I'm happy to hear about your mom moving closer. That's so awesome. Yeah, it's really, um, I mean, it'll be different, but to actually have <laughs> a biological family um, close by will be just crazy. So I'm very excited. Oh my God. I'm so excited for you too. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Our command team combos are always such a great way to experience the solidarity that so many of us desire. It feels good to chat with others who just get it. Now, let's focus on this week's main interview with author Natalie Walters and her book, Blind Trust. Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are our primary focus. We have more than 2,600 blogs with topics, including PCS, parenting, career guidance, humor, deployment, and more. Whether you're dating a service member, have just said, I do as a new spouse, or are a seasoned spouse with a whole collection of PCS stickers on your furniture, we have something for you. But hey, don't just take our word for it. I'm Lindsay, and when my husband joined the military, I was completely lost when it came to assimilating to military life and culture. This organization made me feel like I had support, a new community I could lean on, and equipped me with invaluable information about military spouse life. Tap into all of our empowering resources at missionmillspouse.org or follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Millspouse. Welcome Mission Mill Spouse podcast listeners. I'm Kathleen Palmer, your director of content, and I cannot wait for today's empowering episode. Today's guest is Natalie Walters, a best-selling and award-winning author of Targeted, Snap Agency, and Harvard Secret Series. She lives in Texas with her husband, kids, and an honorary golden doodle named Scout. Natalie is an all-around empowering military spouse and author of Blind Trust, which closes out her Snap Agency series with a bang in this nail-biting story of a deadly government conspiracy an unlikely couple, and an ending that will leave you breathless. Natalie, welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more just about yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, I, my name is Natalie. Uh, I have been um, an author since 2015. Actively, I think my first book came out in 2019, so it was about four years prior to that. Um, I have been married to my husband for 28 years. We've been in the military. He's been in the military for 29, and he just retired this last October. Um, we've lived all over the country and outside of the country, and uh, we have three kiddos. Uh, they're all adults now, and we officially have our forever home, so we say in um, Texas. Well, we like to say forever home, but never really can quite go there. But right. can't make those promises. That's how you know you're a military family. <laughs> well, congratulations, not only on the retirement, but on 28 years of marriage. That's incredible and um, very inspiring, I'm sure, to all our listeners as well. Um, does your background as a military spouse, does it inform or influence your writing in any way? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think one of the like, when I first started writing, one of the... Uh, I guess, bits of advice that 
you know, seasoned authors would always give newer authors is write what you know. And the thing that I knew the the most and the best at that time was life as a military spouse. Um, but as most military spouses know, we can't just write about what our spouses are doing in the military because there's, you know, OPSEC. And so right. I had to be very considerate of that as I was, you know, writing stories. So um, one of the things that I, I think is like a nuance of military type stories is that our military is always changing. And so if we write um, some aspect of military into our story, it might be relevant right now, but in, you know, two years, five years, six months, it can be completely outdated. So I wanted to be very conscientious about that. And so how I kind of went around that was to put pieces and bits of military into my story, but to primarily use um, military members who are either getting out or just who have just gotten out um, or have, you know, kind of a, a minor connection to where I'm not really exposing any current or active uh, military engagements or anything like that in my stories. One of, you know, as, as I'm writing these, you know, these things that I'm asking my husband, especially because a lot of my stories, um, especially the snap agency series is more global in context. Um, I would ask my husband, Hey, could this happen? And, and he would be like, no, that can't happen. And I was like, like, not at all. Like I just need possible. Can it, could this possibly happen? And he's like, okay, yes, possibly. And then that's all I need. And I can just fictionalize, you know, the rest of it or whatever. But I've been really fortunate that I've had um, quite a bit of uh, military readers um, pick up my books. And I have never gotten an email from them that has said like, oh, you completely got this wrong. Now I did, I do get um, emails from, you know, English teachers from, you know, retired English teacher specifically <laughs> telling me that I got something wrong grammatically. And, you know, I mean, I've had my books go through lots of edits, so that's bound to happen, but that typically that's who I'm getting my emails from. <laughs> okay. That's great. Because I saw that on your website where you said um, the difficult to please English teacher. And I was going to, I had it on my notes to ask you about that. Is this your high school English teacher that, that sends you the emails? No, this was a random English teacher who had, um, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I guess being with, with a military background, you know, my husband, if he says hit the ground, you hit the ground, the floor, you hit, you get down low. Like you, there's no, you know, you know yep. what that means. And so um, she was making a point that when you are inside of a building, you go to the floor, not to the ground. And I was just like, what that to me, it's just synonymous. Like I don't put very much effort into that specific word thought. Um, but I, I, I was very, I was like, man, is this something that people really, that really bothers people? And I went back and I looked at her because <laughs> when I was messaging my critique partner, I was like, Hey, like, like, have you caught this on my, on my writing? And of course she picked a story that was like my very first book. And so I was like, well, I've written six or seven books now. So you're probably going to find the same <laughs> error in all of the stories. Cause this is the first time it's been brought to my attention. And, um, my critique partner was like, it, it, she's probably like, like, cause you know, the current edits and stuff, they, things have changed in grammar and stuff. And she's like, I wonder, I wonder how long ago she taught English. And so I went and I looked at her email again and I noticed it was all double, like double spaced. Oh yeah. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I know. Yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. So, I mean, it's sweet and I don't mind the, the emails, you know, I typically take them, you know, in stride or whatever, but I just, I, I find that it's, 
that the people who I expect to get the like um, feedback from it, that are like the military or the technical um, professionals who are like, Hey, you kind of didn't get this right. And that is not what I'm getting the emails from. That's so funny now. Like, Cause it was like, I was thinking your husband would probably be the person saying, Oh, you like all are like my spouse is always like, Oh, Hey, no, they would not have used the, a tank like that in this era or this time. I mean, always critiquing movies that way, but yeah. who knew you have to worry about a rogue English teacher. So that's right. Pretty- right. Yeah. yeah they're, yeah. I mean, they're wielding their wielding their skills. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great story. Um, so when you when you start thinking about your stories, like where do the ideas come from? Um, I, I think we need to mention you have three series. You have the Snap series. You have Harvard Secrets, which, from what I can tell, is a little bit um, a little different kind of a genre, but in the same like suspense. And then also a novella targeted. So how do your where do you get your stories from? First of all. Uh, so usually they will stem from some experience that I've had or some question, something that I've like witnessed or I'm watching even on television or the news. And there's a question that I'm like, hmm, I wonder what could happen if I if I did this um, in my debut novel, um, Living Lies. I uh, kind of that that book um, has some mental health issues and topics in it. And one of the concerns, uh, you know, most military, you know, um, we all their mental health is a concern in in our in our in our area and in our community. And so one of the things that I had learned at that point was how difficult it is for somebody to one ask for help, get help, but then if they do ask for help or get help, how it can critically affect their career or their lives going forward. And so somebody who says, "Hey," I am having some, you know, some hit, hit, you know, issues and need some help. If they decide to go and become hospitalized to get that kind of counseling that they need coming out, if they're to go and get a job, one of the, you know, questions on an application is, have you ever been in, you know, been hospitalized for a mental health issue? And, you know, yes. And that could, you know, be a detriment to their career. So I kind of explored, explored that possibility in, um, in, in living lives and like, um, and it kind of went in a different direction. You know, you, you start off with a story idea and then it kind of veers off into a different direction. But I really try to take something that I've got either some bit of experience in or I know somebody who's had kind of an experience in something. And then I also just like to dramatize things as well. So um, in uh, Lights Out, which is book number one, the full length novel in the Snap Agency series, we had a friend in a, a government agency who had um, told us about they had brought in um, foreign assets from a, from outside of, you know, um, into our country to train them, which is which is typical. And during that process, one of the um, foreigners just like disappeared, like he just like left. And so they had to, you know, search and find them. And, and they did. And um, you know, the, when they brought him back and they questioned him, it wasn't, you know, nefarious or anything like that. In my head, I was like, well, what if it was nefarious? What if that person was brought into our country by our country, and then they were going to do something against our country? And so that's sort of where um, Lights Out 
got its cat, you know, it started. So I always tell our friends um, and, you know, family members that if you come to my house for dinner and you bring up anything that sparks an interest, just know it's probably going to be put into a story. They either come excited or guarded. It's, it's one or the other. <laughs> well, yeah, Nora Ephron once said that everything in life is fodder for writing. So everything is fair game. Um. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I just, um, I've been participating in a, I think it's like a 12 week citizens Academy with our, our local police department. And, um, this last, uh, Thursday I rode with the crime scene unit and it was fascinating. And like right away, I was just like, oh, I got to do a, I got to do a series because the, the crime scene techs that I was working with, they were all female and they were just like the, like, coolest group of women. And I was just like, I have got to write a series on like these women because they were so individual and unique in their personalities. And they were just, I was fangirling them. I was just like, so impressed. <laughs> it was amazing. So literally anything. And I told him that I was like, just so you know, y'all are probably going to become characters in a story. <laughs> yes. A central Texas detective agency, right? Coming, That's coming, right. Soon, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess that answered my next question, which was, have any of your experiences as a military spouse made it into a story? And since you touched on that one, um, have any of your stories, and you, and you talked about your original um, novel, but any ones in between or any of the series, is that anything that you've gone through as a spouse as well? The third book of the Harvard Secret series, which is um, Silent Shadows, uh, that one has Colton Crawford, who has a movement disorder. And at the time that I was writing that story, our um, our daughter uh, had a movement disorder and it came on very quickly and unexpectedly. And um, we didn't really have any answers and doctors. We were really struggling with, you know, fighting with doctors and, and getting um, appropriate care um, for her. I had no intention of having my character have a movement disorder, but as I was experiencing that as a caregiver, as I was experiencing the struggles that she was going through, some of the the dark thoughts that she was having as she was suffering, I was able to kind of put that into, into, my, into my story and into my character. And, um, you know, it was interesting because I didn't realize, you know, in that particular story, my um, character has a psychogenic movement disorder caused by severe trauma during war. Our daughter ended up having, they ended up discovering that she had um, an autoimmune um, encephalitis. So like from a parasite. And so it was different, but I, I did receive emails um, from some readers who were saying that like, you know, their, their spouse was suffering with that Their you know, their soldier had that or, or whatever. And I, I had no idea that I, that, you know, there would be people out there who, you know, you don't realize where your story can reach. And, you know, I think even as like military spouses, one of the things that I, I think is unique to our community is that we have the ability to pass on our stories to future spouses, um, young spouses, and kind of raise them up to continue to support their military members so that we continue to have a strong military community. And so um, even though you might not write a book, your stories that are going to be encouraging and supportive to spouses who are struggling or going through things and they think that they're all alone, I think it's helpful when we we come together and and share those things with one another. Absolutely. The solidarity that, you know, military spouse community is built upon. I mean, it's like nothing else. And yeah, um, yeah I, I think you kind of really hit the nail on the head with the stories. And sometimes fictional stories 
are just as important as nonfiction stories to get points across because you can do it in a safer way or someone can explore them in a safer way because it's, it, it may be based on something, but it's done in a fictional context. So I think that's what I really like about um, what you mentioned on how you you weave that into your storytelling. I also love all your names. I was like looking through all your character names, like Lila Fox. And um, you just mentioned the other one. I think was it Colton Crawford? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love you got Lane and Vivian and Peck. I'm like, where does she come up with these names? That's my question for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I will tell you that I naming characters is one of the hardest things for me to do. I really, really struggle with it. So unless there's a particular name that has like like struck me and I'm like, OK, I have that character. So, for instance, um, Pekka Gallegos, I had her name picked from the very beginning of the like before the series. So she's the last book in the Harvard Secret series. And I knew her like I knew her character. I was like, I know who I know her there, you know, there's not going to be a change. And her name is actually Serena, but she goes by Pekka because she's like her personality. Is, I think they call her like hot tamale in the story. And I think she just has this very vibrant and spicy personality. And um, I remember when I pitched the story to my publisher, they asked me to change her name. And I said, Oh, absolutely not. I said, I cannot change her name, her name, because when she was growing up, her name, um, she was the smallest of the, of the kids. And so in Spanish, that's pequeña. And mm-hmm. then they called her Pekka for short. And I actually belonged to a, um, a church group. And one of the girls, her name, that was, that was her story. Her name was Pekka. And that was why they got, and I was like, Oh, nope, that is going to be. So even I think maybe it was like 10 or 12 years before that story even came to be. I had that name locked into my head because I was like, that name, I've got to use it. So, and then, you know, Colton Crawford, he's from Texas. So I just feel like that is a strong Texas name. Heck yeah. (laughs) And you just, you, there's no denying that. And I, I think like Lila Fox, she just Uh sounds her personality. You're like, oh, something, you know, something special about her and, um, and then I have Keikoa Young, my Hawaiian character. And of course, everybody's like, how do you pronounce it? So then I, you know, give that to them. But oh, yeah. names are names are are hard. And I really try to put a lot of thought into it. And I play around with it. You know, I say it out loud. I listen to it, I, you know, and so there has been times when I will change a name throughout this, like throughout my first draft. Yeah. And so then my early readers or my critique partners are like, wait a minute, who's this person? And I was like, oh yeah, I changed his name. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're prerogative sorry. as the author. Well, it's funny because you know, parents take nine months sometimes to name a kid. You know, they have all this time to think about it. And like, you know, so why wouldn't your characters be the same way? Right. Yeah, yeah. And I really feel like names can define a person. Like I yeah. had no idea in, um, in, Living Lies, one of my characters, and I won't give it away because the name is kind of there, but there was a, I named the character something and somebody sent me an email and was like, oh, I know why you picked the name, picked that person's last name because they're an evil person in real life. Like the last, the the last name was connected to an evil historical person. And Uh I had it. It never crossed my mind though. I never put those together. And so I was just like, okay, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> Whatever works for people. Right. That, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, going, talking about going to names and then going to this town that I think your Harvard series or secret series um, takes place in, which is uh, Walton, Georgia. So I, I didn't know if that was a real place that you were basing it on in your head, but it leads to my question of what was your favorite military assignment? And then of course, I'm going to ask, were you ever stationed in Georgia? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, okay. So let me answer the the second part first and I'll go to the, the next one. Um, so yes, we did live in Georgia. We were stationed at Fort Stewart and um, there uh, there's a town outside of Fort. We didn't live on Fort Stewart, but um, we lived outside and uh, in Richmond Hill, Georgia. So if anybody has been stationed near um, Fort Stewart, they will be very familiar with that. And they will recognize some street um, names. They will recognize a, uh, a common barbecue joint that um, was delicious. And mm. um, so, yes, I was stationed there, which actually really helped when I wrote that series. Um, because when I started the series, we were living in uh, D- we were in Washington, D.C. And then when we moved to um, Fort Stewart, it's a completely different um, setting. So D.C. is, you know, city is uh, suburbs. And then you get into Georgia and where we were at, it's very rural, marshy, you know, su- southern location. And um, it worked out really well because my one of my characters uh, was in the Vietnam War and he has flashbacks and nightmares. The setting in Vietnam, you know, is very uh, swampy and muddy. And I was picking up my son from middle school and I was looking into the tree line and it's just, you know, marshy and water and just kind of, you know, icky. And I was like, that would be the perfect place to put a body. And so I was like, and so it worked out. So I was able to kind of breathe in and use that, the setting, the Georgia setting to, to kind of dominate that series, which I really appreciated. So, so yes, I, I have lived there. Um, our favorite military assignment, I think for, there's going to be a couple for a couple of reasons are probably one of my favorites was um, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. We were only there for school, but we were, we moved in during the winter time and it, we, there was a ton of snow and the streets were closed down because they were doing construction. And so all of our neighbors, we got to know each other very, very quickly. And all of our kids were in the same age. And so we just formed bonds very, very quickly during that, um, during our, our assignment there. And so I feel like those friendships have, um, have really uh, stood the test of time with our children and with, with our, uh, us as adults. Um, but I would say probably our, our, most favorite assignment was Cairo, Egypt. We got oh, wow. to live there for several years. And if you ask my children, they would tell you that that was their favorite assignment as well. So it was it was a very good experience. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that sounds like a great a great way to be exposed to things. that That's a really tiny corner of the world that most people don't get to. So that's incredible. Yeah, we had um, when we, you know, when you get your list, they send you the list like, okay, here are the places you could go, you know, number them, whatever. At least this was back, back when we had, we were able to do this. And, um, and so we put, I think Cairo was like our number three choice or something like that. And my husband was like, you know, if we put that there, like we could probably get that. And I was like, okay, like, I, I mean, I don't know, go ahead, whatever. And sure enough, we got it. And then the first thing I did was Google, okay, what is it going to be like living in Cairo, Egypt? So then I see all these things about like, you know, kidnappings and I'm panicking and freaking out. Um, but we got there and, um, we got there uh, a couple of weeks before the revolution that um, took down the that, you know, took down the president. And so we were evacuated out of the country. We were there for like two weeks. We were evacuated, you know, lived in um, uh, we were locked down in the house for a little bit. But um, and then we then, you know, a couple months later, the evacuation order was lifted and we were um, we got to go back. And and I wrote my first manuscript based off of the experience of like what that was like and and the different conspiracies on 
you know, the, the Egyptian government. And, and so in lights out, you'll see, um, some of our experience, um, from Egypt in that book, because I, it was just too good to not put it into a story. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no. And then that's funny too. Cause I mean, that's, and that's really in the mind of a writer. I mean, you really lived an experience and probably lend so much authenticity to your work. So amazing. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm going to laugh as I think about you waiting in the pickup line to pick up your your child. And most people are like, hey, can we we have time to go through Chick-fil-A before we go home? And you're like, that'd be a great place to hide a body. You know, I mean, <laughs> the thoughts that go through your mind at waiting for to pick up your kids from school. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, okay. not, it's not normal, but, you know, it's normal for me. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're going to take a little bit of a break. So thank you so much, Natalie, for sharing about your military spouse journey and, and your empowering new book, Blind Trust. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. And listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Natalie's book, check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or various other booksellers. You can also connect with her at Natalie Walters Writer on Facebook or at Natalie Walters underscore writer on Instagram. Her website is NatalieWaltersWriter.com. And as usual, don't freak out. We've got everything in the show notes. You can just go there and copy and paste. And before we go to break, we'd like to thank Natalie and her publisher for donating one signed copy of her romantic suspense novel, Lights Out. In order to win, please check out the social posts sharing about this pod or about this podcast around the broadcast date. Stay tuned for the rest of our interview with Natalie. And after the commercial break, we will discuss her newest book that recently hit the bookshelf blind trust. Our mission is to globally empower military spouses with resources and support to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Whether you are an individual, a Fortune 500 company, or somewhere in between, join us on our mission. Make your tax-deductible contribution at missionmillspouse.org, or if you're a business interested in sharing your product or services with our more than 100,000 followers, email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Military spouses around the world, thank you for your support. Welcome back, listeners. We're continuing our conversation with Natalie Walters, military spouse and best-selling award-winning author. So let's jump back into the conversation. We are going to dig in and discuss your latest book that hit the shelves. Blind Trust is the final book in the Snap Agency series. So what themes or elements connect the books in the series or what would you like to talk about with it? So Blind Trust is the, like you said, the, the last book in the series. So it's a little bittersweet, but it, it wraps up with um, two of the, of the team members in the Snap team. So Snap the SNAP agency stands for the Strategic Neutralization and Protection Agency. So it is sort of a um, contracted agency that does not necessarily need to follow the guidelines of, you know, bureaucracy or anything like that. So they kind of, but they are used and hired by our government and, and other private entities to, you know, kind of stop and protect our, our country from things that we don't need to know about. <laughs> um, and so, um, there's it's a team of um, five and this is the last two members Nicholas Garcia and Lila Fox and they are going to wrap up the series um, in sort of the way the only way that they know how which is with you know an explosive ending and you know just getting into trouble and doing all the things that you wouldn't you would expect of a of a of, a, of an agency that can bend the rules a little bit. 
Um, so do you do you feel like that you've been able to connect like, you know, your theme, your suspense, you know, espionage, whatever it might be throughout all the Snap series? Do you feel like that's something that is is pretty constant? Yeah, I think for the Snap Agency series, I think what sets it apart from like the Harvard Secret series is that the Snap Agency is more global in its um, in its suspense themes. So you have uh, more terrorism, uh, more conspiracy um, that has a broader scope of effect. Um, than like my earlier series. And so this one just carries that forward. You have um, the, you know, a a government conspiracy. You have um, an actual foreign conspiracies that are connected with, you know, a threat against the United States. And so you have Lila and Garcia trying to figure out how all of that's connected. And what I think I liked about writing this story was I actually have a, a, a novella, Initium, which is a prequel to this series. And what's kind of started in that novella is wrapped up in the end of this book. And I had no idea when I wrote the novella that that was going to happen, but it just worked out in that manner. And I really liked the way that it tied up some conspiracy stuff from, you know, a de- couple decades ago all the way to current, you know, a current times. And I thought that was I thought that was a really fun aspect of writing this series. So Initium is the one, the first one that set the prequel that's set in Ireland, right? And that's kind of how the SNAP agency gets started is from that from that part, right? Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Okay. So that one is that's director, um, director Gates, his story, and so how he started the agency. And it actually it's a split time story, which I had never done before. Um, typically you'll see split time in historicals or contemporaries. And I was like, oh, I have to kind of do a split time because I want to show. Okay, what was what he was going through and then how that connects back to him starting the starting the team and then and and bringing each team member on. And so in the novella, you get to like watch how the team is um, or watch how the agency is formed and why it's formed. And then you get introduced to each of the team members as he brings them into the onto the team. Oh, that's cool. So then that backstory kind of carries through the rest of the series. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I guess well, that kind of answers my next question is about your characters, which again are so amazingly named as well in this <laughs> series. Um, I, lo- I love Lila and Nick. I'm totally going to be excited to find out what happens to them. But um, the research that goes into your books, obviously, you know, you're married to somebody in the military. You're uh, like, you've had some experiences like with Egypt and all these other things, but what kind of research is required, do you think, to give authenticity to your male protagonist? Uh, we'll talk about him in particular in Blind Trash, Nicholas Garcia. So Nicholas is, um, he was in the military and he was a former EOD officer. So he worked with explosives. And so you have to be, you know, um, I think a lot of people have the idea like, okay, explosives, you're thinking like bomb squad type. And that's true that they they do do that. But there are also some parts of that that's consulting and 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 researching and i when i wrote him as an eod specialist i did not really like i didn't really have a particular consultant in my pocket at that point my mm-hmm. husband was eod initially and then after we got married and we had kids he kind of switched over to logistics so i was <laughs> grateful for that um but it didn't help me with this story and so um we had um uh, we were in hawaii for our um two assignments ago and we were uh doing our cha- his change of command and we had um you know the receiving line or whatever and this soldier comes up and this officer he comes up and uh my husband introduces him and he's like, oh, he is an EOD specialist. <laughs> and I 
shook his hand. He's like, you know, um, congratulations, ma'am or whatever. And I shook his hand and I held it. I held it tight. And I said, I'm going to need your name and your email because I'm going to need you to help me with my book. And he had a kind of a look of terror in his face, you know, (laughs) um, like, you know, what was going to happen. But I did not release his hand until he said, yes, yes, I will. I will get that information to you. And so um, and so I was able to consult with with them about making sure that I kept to the authenticity of what goes into somebody who's dealing with explosives and, and in, in our military type, you know, uh, environment. And so, especially during war, uh, going and, um, dealing with, you know, bombs and bombs that come from, you know, foreigners and like the things that you have to know about that and the consequences. And, um, I think particularly with Nicholas's character, I felt like for somebody who's dealing with bombs and explosives, they need to have a steady personality. They cannot be jumpy. They cannot be impulsive. They cannot be somebody who doesn't, you know, think before they act. And so it really worked well when I put him up against with Lila because she's the opposite of that. And so for, I think Garcia, Nicholas, I call him Garcia, you know, is a military okay. <laughs> by their last name. So for Garcia, it really was a thorn in his side to see somebody who just threw caution to the wind because he had real world experience with the consequences of like just what could happen and the guilt and the feelings and emotions that can be involved with that. So um, I think for, for me, um, you know, when I'm creating, creating any character, whether they're, you know, somebody who's opening a taco stand or somebody who's, you know, does works with explosives, I want to be as authentic as possible, um, especially in their personalities. So I think that that just, cause there are, I will say that there are people who are, who work with explosives and they are the kind of stereotype personality you'd see on television where they want to exp- you know, blow up everything and they're excited like a puppy dog. And like, when can I blow up this? When can I, you know what I mean? And I just wanted a little, little something different than that. <laughs> no, that's completely understandable too. And and again, too, there's something that they do all the time. So they're going to have that, you know, have that real, you know, vibe to it. But when you go back to the other side, your female protagonist, Lila Fox, I love this, has a reputation for impulsivity. I love that. Can you give some insight on how this has affected her role at the SNAP agency? Obviously, an you know, someone who works in this type of field being impulsive can have some consequences, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So she is just, um, her personality is just one that she, she charges in. She's all about justice and doing the right thing and making sure, you know, the wrong people go, you know, the bad people go to jail, the good people, you know, get protected. And so she doesn't think twice about putting herself in danger to, to help people, you know, to help protect people. And so, um, it affects obviously her job because she, you know, it, it has caused the other team members, which happen to be all male to be protective of her and to maybe, you know, put a hedge around her or make up for like some of the areas where she maybe makes some mistakes because she went in, you know, full glory. Mm -hmm. And they're like, all right, we're going to have to clean this up a little bit. They, they know that and they expect that of her, but they don't really appreciate it either. (laughs) Especially Garcia. I mean, the, the Kikoa and Jack, they, they sort of grown to tolerate it. Kikoa sort of loves her for it. Um, but Nicholas wants, Garcia wants to change her. He wants to stop her. He wants to, 
protector, but it's because his heart has gotten involved in a different way than Jack and Keikoa's heart is involved. And so I had to figure out for her what would stop her, what would cause her to pause in that impulsivity to make her think, okay, wait a minute, I need to, I need to pull back. I need to, I need to listen. And so um, for her, it was, okay, seeing the real life danger, she was putting the people that were, um, that were, that love her. And I think one of the themes that I, I kind of liked seeing shine through in, in um, blind trust was unconditional love for Lila, I think she constantly pushes the boundaries because she's testing how strong the love people have for her is. She kind of is like, if I tow the line to this point, will you still love me? What if I cross it? Are you still going to love me then? And I think she has that um, confirmation of love from her family. But I think it's one of those things that she's testing those boundaries because she's starting to recognize, hey, I might have feelings for Garcia, but is he going to keep, is he going to, like, I can't change who I am. So is he going to love me, you know, with all of my flaws or is he going to, you know, want to change me, you know, kind of a thing. So I really liked how they were kind of, um, they were kind of like, you know, oil and water, is it? Oil (laughs) Oil and gas, oil and vinegar, oil and something. Salad dressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love. I just really love how they 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 were just an opposites kind of attract, you know, um, relationship, and but also you know, grumpy sunshine. You know what I mean? They're just they're just a they're a hot mess, but they're cute. Well, that's okay. We're all hot messes, and that's all. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm seriously super excited. I'm sure our listeners are super excited too at this point, but I love hearing you talk about the book because I feel like I'm really going into a world of people that you have created, but like, I'm sure it, it really feels to you like, you know, this is something that is so personal and dear to you, but I'm just so excited. I, your passion for your writing and your characters, I, it's really amazing, Natalie. I, re- oh, I really, thank you. I appreciate that. I know <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time with these people in my head <laughs> and I'm talking to them. And so I, um, I've had, um, several, you know, there's some people gotten early copies of a uh, blind trust and they've, you know, written me and they're like, we're so sad that the story's ending. And I'm like, I can't talk about it. Please don't talk about it. <laughs> I am really not ready to say like, okay, they're not living in my head anymore. I have to move on to the next, the next, you know, group of characters. So they, it is, it does feel personal to me because I feel like these are real life characters to me, even though they're absolutely fake. Um, but I just, you know, you spend so much and you give so much of your heart and time to them to, you know, make them stand out. And I, and I just love them. And I loved writing this series and I love these, you know, these characters. Well, we are excited for our listeners to be exposed to your work and uh, we do appreciate the book giveaway. So that when that comes out, we'll make sure we promote that a little bit more. But in the meantime, where can our listeners go to find more information about you and your mission to support other military spouses? Absolutely. So um, I love connecting on social media. So definitely check me out on um, Facebook and Instagram. That's Natalie Walters writer um, on Facebook and then Natalie Walters underscore writer on Instagram. I also have my website uh, that you can actually access those social media um, 
accounts on. Um, and I, I'm always, you know, I'm doing speaking engagements with, I got to do a speaking engagement with um, retired military spouses. I think like the medium age, median age was like 75. And I was just, I was listening to all of their stories of like how they, you know, where they were deployed and like, you know, during the wars. And I was just like, this is so much fun. So um, I'm always, I'm always posting where I'll be showing up next and where I'll be speaking. So that's a, uh, my website or social media is a great place to find me. No, that's great. Um, I'm sure those stories are amazing. I mean, the wars that have gone past, what we, you know, gone through, and then you look at what they've gone through, it's just incredible. Uh, So as we wrap up our conversation, uh, we have, we ask all our guests the same question, and that's what, what's one piece of advice you would give our listeners to navigate military life. Um, And it's funny because uh, I saw on your website, you have uh, the Ecclesiastes verse on your website, you know, time for everything is, you know, there's, a time for a season for everything. And I'm not sure if you feel like that is where you can lead military spouses, uh, but I just really wanted to know, I guess, kind of what, what would you say to, to military spouses? It's supposed to be in respect to your area of expertise, but I want you to speak to anything that you want to speak to. I think for my piece of advice for military spouses is to join your community, get to know your neighbors, get to, you know, even if you're on post, if you're off post, engage. I know it's hard sometimes when we're like, okay, we're only here for a year. We're only here for six months. Um, But honestly, we all are usually living far away from our, our, you know, biological families. And so our, um, you know, as Keikoa Young would say, our Ohana is who we are around. And I will tell you that um, we've had our two oldest daughters get married now and the majority of our guests at our on our side of the on our side of the aisle were our military friends who had become family to us, who have loved our children, helped us raise our children. And they really say, like, you know, it takes a village to raise a family. And it does. And so your military community is your village. And they're the ones that are going to be there to support you. They're experiencing the same things you are. And so I really just, you know, you know, there is a season and time for everything. You have good seasons and bad seasons, but what makes um, the seasons bloom into beauty is that we have that connection with our community around us. And so I would just say engage in your community and and just find your friends and build your family around that. Oh my gosh, that is, that is great advice. And I'm just envisioning the wedding and um, we have a, well, I have a grandson and we have a grown daughters too. And it's funny how much like at, when they come to big events, it is more, it seems like more family, more of the friends and family that you made mm-hmm. in the military. And I love it. Yeah. So yeah. excellent advice to our listeners. We appreciate that. And Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today to share such a powerful resources with our listeners. And as always, we thank you for serving our community and making our world a much kinder place. Thank you so much. And I'm just so honored to be able to be here and to to be a part of this. And I, you know, you said it earlier that the military community is a very special group of of, um, individuals. And so I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. Well, thank you again. And thank you also to the sound team here at Mission Mill Spouse for putting this together. But we would really, really like to thank Natalie Walters. And we wish her all the best as she continues to empower spouses with her book, Blind Trust, her new book, Blind Trust. And now we will take this back to our hosts in the metaphorical studio. Thank you so much to Natalie Walters for joining us on the Mission Mel Spouse podcast. Again, if you want to connect with Natalie, check her out online on Facebook Natalie Walters, comma, writers, or on Instagram at 
Natalie Walters underscore writer. Or you can visit her website, www.NatalieWaltersWriter.com. All right, Jade, let's recap. What was your biggest takeaway from the interview? Okay, so the biggest takeaway that I found was the creativity, thought process, and the correlation between being an author writing the books and her mill spouse background. I found it really, really interesting to hear the process of how she names characters, especially how she's had like one of the names for so long, but had decided to hold on to it to put it eventually into a book that was like a calling to her. Yeah. Um, I also loved that she took from like locations that they've been like PCS to, such as like DC and her Georgia, which played a role in her stories. Uh, I literally chuckled on the interview when she said she picked up her son and literally looked out at like the marshy swamp or whatever and was like, this is the perfect place for a body. (laughs) I was like, like, oh my God, that is like, that's like so funny, like driving down the road and it's like the things you see and like what, you know, you can bring into like an experience or as her being an author But yeah, it was just interesting, like the whole like seeing where she went, um, how it played a big role, Uh, definitely like how she said her first manuscript uh, that she had written due to her like Egypt PCS and her experience there. Uh, It was just really interesting to just kind of, I don't know, I've, I've never thought how an author writes a book. So to actually hear the process and like all the things that went into it. Um, especially through her uh, multiple series, was just really interesting. What did you think? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I was finding myself like connecting in so many similar ways, especially because um, on the side here, you know, I'm trying to write my first book. And um, the way that she described like kind of getting to know her characters and when she had said like now that she's written um, Blind Trust and it's over, she kind of has that that feeling of like <laughs> goodbye to these people. Um, and I just, I loved hearing somebody else feel that way because even the characters I've written, I'm like, they they feel so real to me, even though I've, I made them up. Um, and so I kind of love how I was able to just hear her experiences. And even though I have no experience of like going to Egypt, which I thought was just <laughs> awesome. And her experiences there, it was nice to to be like, oh yeah, I totally do that too. And like, I could see myself where she was talking about how she ended up um, meeting the one soldier that was an EOD specialist. And like, I'm, I'm just as like, I don't want to say awkward, but I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to use you in my book, by the way, (laughs) you know, um, it was just, it was really great to hear. Um, I am definitely going to check out Natalie's books. I haven't read them yet, but I'm like, you know, just hearing about all the different ones and like her snap story. I'm like, wow, I'm definitely, I got to check these out. So I am excited to read her books, especially this latest one, Blind Trust. Me too. It just seems like there was so much work that went into it and so much experience and it, it's kind of like motivating to be like, wow, like even in all these different seasons of life and where like we all end up that there's things that if you really take a moment to sit and like look at or like just be appreciative of, um, there's things in your life that you can just use 
to your advantage of creativity and to better the Millspouse community, which she definitely is doing. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's so powerful where you're kind of talking about how like when, when you're present and in that moment, even though it kind of can sometimes feel like, oh, I'm ignoring all of these other things. By being present, you actually give yourself that freedom and permission to then be creative, have that imagination, think about and reflect on all the the good moments. And so I think that it really does make not even just writing, but your experiences in life so much better. Yeah, like imagine if she just like walked by that, um, like the person that you had just mentioned, um, she never would have had that like maybe thought process to make that trait for the character or use the knowledge that was given, you know? So it's kind of like a special thing to always like use this present. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you think about what a a moment, like when you're in those lines where you have to like shake everybody's hand, like you're not really, (laughs) I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I can only speak for myself, but I know it's kind of like, okay, let me just like get through this. Um, oh my god I know what a train wreck (laughs) (laughs) but if I think about it now I really should when when I actually think back about like my first couple of times that I did it and I was so nervous oddly enough like at military balls and stuff like you know um I really I took it so seriously and so my focus was was so much greater. And so honestly, just kind of continuing with that, because who knows, maybe I'll have more characters from it too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Next time you go down the line, make sure you're like really present. (laughs) Where are you from? (laughs) Tell me every detail about your childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But as always, it's always such good information coming to us from our podcast guests. Let's keep the good vibes going with this week's resource recon. Let's talk about one of our blogs by our awesome expert bloggers, Hiring Heroes USA, titled Interviewing the Two-Way Street. Written by one of their transition specialists, Sydney Hubner writes, Interviewing is a critical step in the job process search. And it's essential for both the employer and the candidate to ask the right questions. Traditionally, the interviewer is the one who asks the questions to learn about the candidate's qualifications, experience, and fit for the role. However, in recent years, a new trend has emerged, the interviewee interviewing the company. Sydney continues to share more about the interviews today in which there has been a shift giving the candidate a much more active role in the interview. She discusses topics such as culture, growth opportunities, and the company's needs and nature. Amanda, what are some of the thoughts of this blog? I just couldn't agree more with Sydney. Um, Not only do I really love and appreciate how she shares um, about the current shift that is happening from the traditional interview, um, you know, because back in the day, it was like interviewers, they had all the power, they were the ones just asking the questions. But now it is really great that we do have that empowerment to actually advocate, ask questions, find out, you know, about the company's culture, like what would their employees say? Um, 
that they like about working there. And so I think it's great that she breaks them down into topics and then she shares um, an example question that can be asked by the candidate for each topic. So that is like gold right there. Um, I even made sure to jot those down so I could use them for future reference. You know, you can never use, Mm -hmm. you can never um, (laughs) have enough interview tips. Um, But honestly, I totally believe that taking on her advice is sure to help guide really anyone through their next interview. Definitely. And you know, as Bill spouses, we move around like crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's always an interview when we get somewhere. Um, and it's important to know that we do have the power and the confidence to ask them the questions that we might not have thought that we could ask them. So I yeah. really enjoyed it. And it was absolutely amazing. And those little examples I jotted them down too. And the next interview I go on, God bless, I am going to use those little babies and be like, yes, yes, yes. Answer my question. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, wait, hold on. It's my turn to do the question. (laughs) Exactly. So listen, middle spouses, next time we'll pull up the blog, write them down and say it with confidence because we are going to be good. Exactly. Thank you so much, Sydney, for that empowering, empowering blog. Listeners, we don't just offer tangible resources to help you navigate your military spouse life. We also provide insight and encouragement for your male spouse heart. So let's hear from our empowering and informative trifecta. So here's me, Amy and Emma. We here at Mission Mill Spouse never doubt the strength of our military spouse tribe. Here is our Director of Empowerment with this week's Empowerment Patrol Report. Hello, Mission Mill Spouse listeners. This is your Director of Empowerment, Amanda Bickney, bringing you this week's Empowerment Patrol Report. Today we are spotlighting our MRE team winner, which by the way, MRE stands for Motivated and Ready to Empower, Jade Fusaro. As Mission Mill Spouse Director of Podcast Production, Jade has been an empowering and supportive command team member. A little about Jade, she was born and raised in New Jersey. The Garden State had so many things to offer Jade, including when she met her fellow New Jersey husband on Veterans Day weekend in 2014, while he was home on leave. Jade studied at Rutgers University, obtaining a Bachelor's of Science in Exercise Science and Sport Management. In the past, Jade had worked in many industries, including sports, athletics, management, restaurants, social media, and as a certified bar fitness instructor. Recently, Jade accepted a position in the financial department of a local trauma hospital. Jade and her husband are currently stationed in South Florida, where they are again enjoying the beach, summer year-round, cortaditos, and being back on the East Coast closer to family. In Jade's spare time, she enjoys connecting with her family and friends, taking fitness classes, attending or watching sporting events, taking pictures of her cat, enjoying a good Italian meal, meditating, and learning something new. Jade, we thank you so much for your service in honoring our mission and for doing your part to empower military families all across the globe. Until next time, I'm Amanda Bickneys reminding you, empowered spouses empower spouses.
Unlike our calendar plans, our commitment to serve military spouses is written in ink. Now continuing our 18-year legacy is Mission Mill Spouse Deputy Director of Empowerment with this week's Moxie Minute. Hello, military spouses. Amy Fisher here, your Deputy Director of Empowerment with this week's Moxie Minute. It's PCS season once again, and I know it can be a stressful time for many of us. But let's not forget that we're in this together and we have the strength to get through it. I say that while I myself am staring at tubs that need to be packed. That's right, the Fisher family is moving soon, like next month soon. Anyway, a few things for us to remember during this time. First and foremost, take a deep breath and remember that this is another adventure we get to experience as military families. Embrace the change and look forward to the new opportunities and experiences that await us at our new duty station, or even some of the adventures we can have along the way on those road trips or flights. Secondly, let's not forget to take care of ourselves during the chaos of moving. Make time for self-care, even if it's just a quick 10-minute meditation or a walk around the block. Taking care of ourselves allows us to better take care of our families during the move. Lastly, remember that it's okay to ask for help. Our military community is full of supportive and understanding people who are there to lend a hand during this time. Don't be afraid to reach out to the resources that have been made available to us, whether it's through our units or support groups. And you know us at Mission Mill Spouse. We are all about lending a hand. If you go to our blog at missionmillspouse.org and you can type in Embrace Your Base into the search bar and you'll find just about every location out there and we are always adding to it and updating it. If we've lived there, found our favorite coffee shops and a great group to join, you'll get to read about it. So jump on there and see how we can help you make this transition just a little bit easier. I myself am going back to Fort Campbell for the third time, so I am looking forward to seeing what else is out there and what's been added since I have lived there last. All right, as military spouses, we are resilient and strong. Let's tackle this PCS season with positivity and grace. Remember, we've got this. Till next time, this is your Deputy Director of Empowerment signing off. Keep being amazing, military spouses, and moxie up. No news is typically good news in this military life, except on the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. Here is our News 6 correspondent with this week's top stories. Howdy all and buckle up for this week's News 6 update. Marines saved the day at the Virginia Chick-fil-A. Corporal John Darby, Corporal Bradley Feldkamp, and Lance Corporal Nicholas Doral was recently honored with the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal in Quantico, Virginia. The way they earned this honor was a bit unorthodox. All three Marines were newly minted Marine Embassy security guards and were waiting for their visas and flight information to go on to different parts of the world. The three men stopped at the Chick-fil-A in North Stafford, Virginia, on their way to get haircuts when a fight took place. Two teenagers approached another teenager and things got heated. They bumped into a woman who was knocked down. Darrell went to check on her. That's when one of the juveniles pulled out a knife and the Marines jumped into action. Using defense tactics they had been trained to use, they quickly were able to pin the assailant. I had my left hand on basically the back of the blade and the top of the hilt of the knife, Darrell said. When I was pushing down and twisting, since I had the blade basically in my hand, the back of the blade, when I was twisting it, I guess I put so much pressure down there I was able to snap the knife. Once I snapped the knife, that's how I was able to yell, Darby, grab the blade. The blade was soon out of dangerous hands and given to a manager. 
The teens quickly tried to leave, but police were already on site and they were quickly arrested. The men then went on their way and got their haircuts. They will soon say goodbye to Chick-fil-A for quite a bit, however, as Darby and Feldkamp are expected to leave for the U.S. Embassy in Abuja, Nigeria, and Doral is scheduled to leave next for the U.S. Embassy in Brazzaville, Republic of the Congo. Bravo to these Marines for their bravery, and best of luck on your new adventures. May all future haircut trips be uneventful. Army tackles Pacific in ambitious exercise. Talisman Sabre, a large-scale exercise taking place in Australia, is set to take off this summer. During this exercise, the 8th Army Sustainment Command will deliver a large amount of equipment over a vast amount of land involving harsh landscapes and conditions. Brigade General Jared Helwig, the commander of the command, said to Defense News that the scale is an order of magnitude higher than anything that has ever done before. It's been a huge undertaking. Just for one example, Australia's got very strict agricultural requirements, and we have quadrupled the amount of equipment that we're bringing. One of the contested things is ensuring that we can keep the leopard snail from getting into Australia. We have to rehearse sustainment at scale and treat logistics as a warfighting function as we rehearse it as part of our campaigning. A scrupulous clean and pack-up has already been taking place in Oahu, Hawaii for months in anticipation of this exercise. This exercise will also keep the Army ready to enlarge presence in the Pacific region of the world as the need to deter China grows. The U.S. Army will be joined by Australia, South Korea, Indonesia, and Japan. The mileage between starting and ending points of this exercise is 1,617 miles, roughly the distance between Fort Stewart, Georgia, and Fort Carson, Colorado, here in the States. Best of luck to the Sustainment Command. I'd avoid the kangaroos if I were you. I hear they kick. Find out more at MilitaryTimes.com. Northernmost Military Base Gets New Name Goole Air Base in the country of Greenland is sporting a new name with Inuit roots. Now called Bidufik Space Base, the name upgrade now reflects native ties and its ever-growing affiliation with the Space Force. The name Bidufik comes from the original settlement the base was built upon. The original settlers were forced to relocate in the 1950s when Thule Air Base was built. Thule comes from the Roman mythological term Ulta Thule, meaning the northernmost place possible. The term space base seems to imply that the Space Force is taking the Air Force tradition of taking the word force out of Okona's base titles. This renaming represents our wish to celebrate and acknowledge the rich cultural heritage of Greenland and its people and how important they are to the sustainment of this installation against the harsh environment north of the Arctic Circle, Chief of Space Operations General Chance Saltzman said during the name change ceremony. May the space renaming serve as an opportunity for us here at Bidufik Space Base to reaffirm our commitment to that friendship and serve as a reminder of our special bond for many years to come. Colonel Brian Capps, Bidufik Space Base, and 821st Space Base Group Commander said during the ceremony. This change follows closely on the heels of the huge army move of renaming all bases named after Confederate generals. 750 miles from the Arctic Circle is closer than I ever hoped to be, but to all who call Bidufik Space Base home, stay warm. Find out more at military.com. Today in History on April 17, 1970, the Apollo 13 landed back on Earth after quite a bumpy ride. It was the seventh crew-led mission of the Apollo space program and took to the skies on April 11th. It was manned by three astronauts, Jim Lovell, Jack Swigger, and Fred Hayes. 
The plan was to land on the moon, but this plan was thwarted when an oxygen tank failed just two days into the mission, leaving the astronauts in a frantic race to get home before they ran out of air. They made it back safely in the nick of time, mostly thanks to the ground crew back in Houston who desperately worked around the clock to get them home. The splashdown in the South Pacific was broadcasted on TV and watched by thousands. This harrowing tale was brought to life on the big screen with Tom Hanks in one of the lead roles in the cinematic masterpiece called, wait for it, Apollo 13. They may have not made it to the moon, but they sure made it into the history books. That's it for me. I'm Emma Tai with News 6, signing out. Love hearing from these ladies each week, celebrating our fellow military spouses, offering the words we need to so desperately hear, and of course, keeping us informed with uplifting military life and news. Thanks, ladies. Now let's take a quick 45-second break, and then we'll be right back. Mission Mill Spouse, formerly known as Army Wife Network, is continuing our exceptional and long-standing legacy. Now serving all spouses of all branches, we are the longest-running military spouse podcast currently broadcasting our 18th season. In fact, we will break 1,000 episodes in 2023. Don't miss an installment. Subscribe on our website, missionmillspouse.org, or catch our twice-weekly podcast on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gents. As we prepare to sign off, remember to catch our mini casts that drop on Thursdays and gear up for our next full-length episode when we chat with author Megan Brown about her book, Know What You Signed Up For. We're counting down the minutes until we meet up with you here again. Before we head out, we'd love for you to consider donating to Mission Mill Spouse on our website by clicking that magical donate button. All contributions are tax deductible and go directly to empowering military spouses with resources and support. As the longest running military spouse empowerment organization, your investment is a great one. One last note, to stay in the know with all things Mission Mill Spouse, and receive access to exclusive giveaways and printables, subscribe on our website to our newsletter, The Sit Rep, and that situation report for those who are new to this military life. We only send it twice a month on the first and third Fridays, so there's no cluttery spam threat here. Listeners, no matter where you're at on your military journey, newer seasoned, active, guard, retired, or prior service, Army, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, Navy, Space Force. Always remember, we've been there. You're not alone. We've got your six. This is your Mission Mill Spouse Command Team signing out. Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your tribe and leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice to catch episodes that drop every Monday and Thursdays each week. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or LinkedIn at Mission Millspouse. Snag some sweet freebies by signing up for our newsletter, The Sit Rep. And finally, if you'd like to join us on our mission to serve military spouses, consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website 
or email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Mission Mill Spouse, empowering you to navigate this military life since 2005.